two-part series of messages entitled, Hid in My Heart. It's taken from Psalms 119.11. You remember that verse? Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. We'll be focusing on the word of God as it relates to the Christian experience And today, the focus of our message is found in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. We'll be looking at the first temptation of Jesus right after he has been baptized. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. When you're reading this passage, some of you may be inclined to think that somehow the devil and the spirit were in collusion to frame this temptation for Jesus when that is not the case. There is not an alliance between the spirit and the devil. Can you say amen? The actual translation of the word tempted here is literally tested. And I want to make very clear that in this situation, Jesus is not placing himself willfully on Satan's ground. Jesus is right after his baptism, before his ministry, preparing for ministry in the wilderness, and it is in this situation that the devil comes and tempts Jesus. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 2, and when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. You ever fasted before? I cannot imagine fasting for 40 days, and Satan knew that he was not going to wait 30 days, he was going to wait 40 days. And it's not by accident that this temptation came right after the baptism of Jesus Christ, which means that when you go down into the watery grave, of which we have witnessed this year many times, that afterwards you are a marked individual. But the difference is now you're not alone. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, afterward he was a hungered. Now when the tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. That first part of that phrase, it says, If you are the Son of God, Satan was tempting Jesus to doubt the words that he had just heard before at the baptism of Jesus, saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. There's a myriad of things that we can focus on, but I want to focus this morning on this particular passage in Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. It says, but he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by, what does your Bible say? But by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. I want to make a few observations about this passage, and then we will go to the heart and the thesis of our presentation here this morning. Jesus, in all three temptations, says the words what? It is written. We have an Adventist ministry today entitled, It is Written. Jesus is quoting... Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3. We're not going to go there here today, this afternoon, if you have some time. I want to encourage you to read Deuteronomy chapter 8. He's quoting the Old Testament. Matter of fact, in the temptation number 2 and temptation number 3, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy, 
the second time, and the third time, in all three temptations, Jesus quotes the book of Deuteronomy, the Old Testament. We live in an age today in the Christian community where they say, you know, the Old Testament is not really as relevant today. Have you heard that before? We are New Testament Christians. But Jesus here shows that the Old Testament is relevant. Can you say amen? amen? So relevant that in this great controversy between Christ and Satan, at the greatest moment of temptation, Jesus looks through his mental files of Scripture and he quotes the book of Deuteronomy in response to the temptation by the devil himself, which means that Jesus thought that the, he believed that the Old Testament was relevant, powerful, and transformative in the life of the Christian. Can you say amen? Jesus quoted the words, it is written. Another observation that Jesus made or Jesus said of this passage in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 3, it says, man shall not live by bread alone. Jesus is pointing out that we are not only physical beings. There is another element of being human. That is our spiritual nature. We're going to be making some more observations about this passage, but Jesus points out that just as important for our spiritual nourishment, it's a relationship to our physical nourishment of bread. And then Jesus says, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. We're not to be selective when it comes to God's word. He says that every word is appliable and powerful. I want to focus here this morning on this relationship that Jesus alludes to. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus here is implying that there is some sort of relationship between physical bread and the spiritual word. There is an interesting parallel comparison between these two, and this is not the only time that Jesus alludes to this reality. You remember in John chapter 6, verse 51 through 52, Jesus said, I am the living, what does it say? I am the living bread that came down from heaven. He's talking about the manna. This is an allusion to the heavenly manna that came down during the times of the Old Testament. He says, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. And notice the language here. It says, if anyone eats this, what does it say? Bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the word is my flesh. And this verse 56 is shocking. The people heard this and many of the disciples went away. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in them. And the people, many of the disciples, many of the Pharisees thought that Jesus was alluding to cannibalism. But Jesus later on clarifies in John chapter 6 verse 63, he says, the words that I speak unto you, they are spirit, they are life. Jesus is implying that there is a special, unique relationship between physical bread 
and the spiritual word. Are you following me here this morning, yes or no? There is an interesting, fascinating relationship between the word and physical bread. It is what we call a parallel comparison. It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. What do we mean by a parallel comparison? Remember in elementary school, you had these parallel comparisons. Matter of fact, they come up in IQ tests, at least some of the ones I've taken. This is a very simple parallel comparison to illustrate my point. Here is a parallel comparison. Kitten is to cat as puppy is to what? All right, how did you know that? You guys are so brilliant here, all right? IQ test, all right, you guys score, all scored 100, all right? Kitten is to cat as puppy is to dog. Now, the way that you find the answer right here is that you look at the unique relationship between kitten and cat. Isn't that right? And then you analyze that relationship. You say, all right, kitten, cat. Let me see. Kitten is an adolescent cat. That is the relationship. Then you think puppy is an adolescent dog. And then you say this is what we call a parallel relationship. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, is giving an implied parallel analogy, a parallel relationship. And here it is. Bread is to physical as the word is to spiritual. The bread is to physical as the word is is to spiritual. Now, I know this is Sabbath morning, and you're like, oh, pastor, come on, this is... But, but this is... Uh, I try to keep it as basic and elementary as possible. All right, so the bread is the physical as the word is to spiritual, and so we do the same thing. Jesus says that the word is like bread. The same relationship or a parallel relationship between bread and our physical nature is the same as the word is to our spiritual nature. So the exercise I want to do here this morning is for us to understand how essential the word is to the physical nature. I want us to go in there and analyze to think about the relationship between physical bread and our physical nature. And so here is some reflections in my sermon preparation this week. The way that we relate to bread is a active interaction. Isn't that right? It is not a passive interaction, at least if you want to receive the full benefits of the bread, right? Let me give you an illustration of a passive relationship. A passive relationship is carrying bread, having the bread on your lap, all right? Even smelling the bread, you know? Putting your tongue on the bread, passive. You're not going to receive the full nutritional benefit of the bread. Having the bread in your cupboard, Matter of fact, you can have a thousand loaves in your cupboard. Passive relationship. In other words, possessing bread is not the relationship 
that is going to give you the most nutritional value. Matter of fact, it's going to give you zero nutritional value. Now, the relationship between us and bread, by the way, when Jesus said bread, he's not just talking about specifically bread. He's talking about the material necessity for human existence. Food. That's what he's talking about. When we look at bread and the way that you interact with food in general, I want us to look at the relationship. When you take bread, you have to go through certain steps. First, you have to put the bread in your, right, in your mouth. That shows some commitment. I don't put anything in my mouth. Are you following me, yes or no? Now, when, when you're little, okay, when I was a child, I imagined that I put all kinds of stuff in my mouth because I had very little discernment. My parents had to say, you can't eat that, okay? But now, as an adult, I, I, with my cerebral powers, I look at something, I smell it, I analyze it, especially if it's something foreign, and then I ask myself, is this safe? Is this going to cause me to get sick? And then after I've gone through that analysis, and we've done this so many times that we don't even think about it, it's automatic, we look at the bread or we look at the food, and then we say, okay, I think it is safe to put in my mouth and chew. But have you ever had a situation where you thought something was beneficial and you put it in your mouth and you're like, hmm, and what do you do? You, you spit it out. Okay, so, so there's another level there, right? It, before it goes down the hatch, if it's not acceptable, you, you spit it out. So this is the, the level, all right? So the, wor- the, the bread has to come in. It has to be accepted. It has to be received. It has to be chewed. It has to be masticated. And then it has to be digested. And after digestion, it becomes what? A part of you, literally, physically. It's a very intimate, transformative process. And and this is a a very unique relationship. And Jesus says the same relationship as bread is to the physical, the word is to the spiritual. Are you following me this morning, yes or no? Which means that the interaction with the word should be the same type of dynamic, active interaction. Now, you fill in the blanks. It's not just enough to have a thousand Bibles in your home. I don't have a thousand Bibles, but I have a lot. That is a passive relationship. We must go through the steps of reading the Word, receiving the Word, meditating on the Word, which means to go over it again and again and again, and until the Word becomes a part of us, and it is a transformative interaction. That is the type of interaction that the Bible is talking about. Furthermore, when we talk about bread, it is what we call an essential relationship. An essential relationship. There's a book out, came out a number of years ago. It's called Darwin's Black Box. Michael Behe talks about something called irreducibly complex, and he gives the illustration of a mousetrap. A mousetrap is irreducibly complex. Irreducibly complex, meaning 
that you have the catch, the hammer, the spring, the holding bar, and the base, every element in a mousetrap is irreducibly complex, meaning that every ingredient or every element of a mousetrap is essential. Meaning that if you remove any part of the mousetrap, the mousetrap ceases to function. You take away the hammer, it ceases to function. You take away the catch, it ceases to function. You take away the base, it ceases to function. And Jesus is pointing out that the relationship between the Word and our spiritual nature is the same as bread is to our physical nature, and the relationship between bread and our physical nature is an essential relationship. Meaning that you have to have it, and I looked up in my thesaurus some synonyms or some definitions of the word essential. Essential, absolutely necessary. Impossible without. Crucial indispensable. All of these things is what the Word is to the spiritual nature. It is essential, absolutely necessary, impossible without, and crucial. The Word of God is just as essential for spiritual life as food is for physical life. It is essential. It is absolutely necessary. It is impossible without. I want us to think about this. The Word of God is essential for spiritual life. Because I will admit that at certain portions of my Christian experience, I have assumed or I have lived like The word is supplemental. It's extra. It's the bonus. And I've lived my life, especially at the beginning of my Christian experience, immediately after I was baptized, with this concept of a supplemental reading of God's word. And it went something like this. Wake up in the morning, I'm going to try to get my morning devotions in, but if I don't, I'll be okay. And I go through my week, and sometimes the only time that I would crack open the Bible is on Sabbath. I'd get my Sabbath supplement, all right? This is the, this is the way I would live. I come to church, and I get, oh, I get my, my, my Sabbath message, and I open my Bible, and this is where I get my Sabbath supplement for the week. And I was living a life in a paradigm of not essential biblical living, but supplemental biblical living. And it showed in my individual life. And if you draw this parallel practically, it's like you saying, you know what? I'm only going to eat once a week. That, That is what we are kind of saying when we have this kind of a supplemental approach to God's Word. It is not an essential relationship. It's kind of like the cherry on top of a cake. Jesus is saying, look, it's not the cherry on top of the cake. It's the flour, meaning that if you remove the flour, the cake ceases to exist. The Word of God is essential. Spiritual life is impossible without 
this type of dynamic, this type of relationship with God's Word. Now, some of you may be saying, and I asked myself this question too after I did this study, Pastor, I thought we were saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, which is true. But, Pastor, when you get up and say that spiritual life and the Word must be in this dynamic relationship, saying that without reading the Word, your spiritual life is not going to exist or not going to subsist any longer, this seems like you're saying that this is salvation by Bible study. Uh, how, how can we have this dichotomy? Uh, on one side, you say we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. And, and don't get me wrong here this morning. I preached many sermons in my time here at the university church about the gospel. When you accept Jesus as your Savior, in that instant, in that moment, when you send those prayers to heaven, you are accepted as a son of Jesus Christ, and you are justified in that instant, and your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. No questions asked. You are born again by faith in Jesus Christ, by grace. And when we talk about this relationship of the Word of God, it seems like there is a contradiction, and this is the way that I have tried to frame it for you here this morning. Feeding on the Word, we stay alive, notice language, feeding on the Word, we stay alive after we have been what? Made alive. Let me read that again. Feeding on the Word, we stay alive after we have been made alive. There are two phases to human existence in this context. You are born and you are alive. There's something that has to happen for you to be born. And there's something that has to happen for you to continue to live after you have been born. Let me give this indication or application to a baby. When a baby is born, no one says, look, you've been born, good, that's great. You're alive. Now, let's just put you here on this shelf, Exhibit A, and that's it. You're alive. Uh, I mean, this is ludicrous because we know that even though the baby is born, it must what? Remain alive. He must stay alive. So just because someone has been born a Christian doesn't mean that something has to happen in this divine transaction called sanctification where the Christian must grow and stay alive and the Bible is pointing out that after you have been born again, that in the process of sanctification, the Word of God is essential for staying alive as a Christian. Let me put this in the context of the sanctuary. When you walk into the sanctuary, there are actually several phases of the Christian experience. And I want to point out two phases here this morning. It's in this two-phase relationship I want to address. Here's one phase, the outer court. Here's the other phase, the holy place. You come into the sanctuary. This is in relationship to the Christian. This is where the lamb was slain. This is where you accept Jesus. This is where you are justified. That happens immediately. Your past is cleansed, and you stand before God as if you have never sinned. Can you say amen? amen? 
You come in, you are justified at the cross. The laver can represent baptism for the Christian, but you do not stay here. You do not camp out here. The trajectory is to stand face-to-face with God as Adam did, open communion with God. This is the goal. So God has you go into the second phase of your Christian experience. This is where you have been made alive. This is where you stay alive through these three essential elements of the Christian experience. The table of showbread represents the Word of God. We have the lampstand, which represents the Holy Spirit's ministry through the Christian We have the altar of incense, which represents the prayer life and intercessory prayer. Prayer, Bible study, and ministry are essential for staying alive after you have been made alive. Bible study, essential for remaining a Christian. But it must be preceded by being born again. After you have been born again, you go into the holy place experience. I believe that every person that is baptized, that is born again, should be taught how to study their Bible in their morning devotions. You say amen? Amen. Every person that goes through that water should be taught practically how to stay alive after they have been made alive. After they've been born a Christian, you have to be taught how to remain a Christian. And this is the Word of God. The Word of God is essential for spiritual growth. And this is a practice, and I believe that as a pastor, I am a, you know, part of the same community of faith, and, and my colleagues, you know, we have been responsible many times in our history for, for baptizing an individual and saying, oh, okay, they're good. Let, let's, let's move on to the next one. Another person is born, you put them on the shelf and let's move on to the next one without having a systematic discipleship uh, model in place so that every person that is born is taught, look, you've been saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, not of works lest anyone should boast, but God has made beautiful, divine provision in His Word for you to grow as a Christian after you have become a Christian, and that is by feeding on the Word of God on a regular basis. Christian Education 582, keep your Bible with you as you have opportunity. Read it. Fix the text in your memory. Even while you're walking the streets, you may read a passage, meditate upon it, thus fixing it in the mind. And today with technology, if you have a smartphone, it takes one click of a button and you can download the Bible onto your phone and you are taking your Bible with you. All right? This is very easy in the 21st century to do. And I want to tell you that I have made this by the grace of God my practice, and I praise the Lord for being a pastor uh, in this regard. Some people say, oh, pastor, that, that's, uh, it's, it's a difficult challenge in the 21st century to minister. And, and there are difficulties, but one of the beautiful things about being pas- a pastor is that I get paid to be spiritual. Amen. 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 I, I, I mean, this is great. This is great. I, I get paid. I get paid to study my Bible. Oh, praise God. I, this, this is the, a great uh, position to be in. 
So uh, I have made this, this, this my practice, and I want to tell you, on my phone, I have this app called Audible, where you can download audiobooks. And I actually sent out an email this week uh, through Mary. Uh, there was a link there. Uh, uh, click to audible.com, and you can download the entire Bible dramatized onto your iPhone. And that's what I've done. I, this is the best reading of the Bible I've ever had because I have three versions or Bible readings, and this is the best one. I have Alexander Scorby and another one, but this is, this is by far the best. And when I get up in the morning, my wife knows. <laughs> As I'm going about my morning routine, after I've had my devotions, maybe I'm getting uh, some things ready and so forth, I turn on my iPhone to that Audible app, and I click on the Bible. And as I'm going through my day, I'm listening to the Word of God. In the car, I got my Bible on. I'm going through the Word of God. This is becoming a, a part of my life. And, and Pastor Daniel had been going through this journey together. And he was walking around through camp meeting with his earbuds on. And, and, uh, and I look at him and I just smile because I know my... My brother Daniel is listening to the Bible, and this is becoming a, a transformative experience all throughout the day, and I want to encourage you to do this. You may not have the time that I do, but you can surely carve out moments in your day just like you do for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Make time to feed on the Word of God. Make time to fill your mind with the Word of God because this is, as Jesus said, the word is spirit. The word is life. And this is where we get our nourishment to remain a Christian after we have become a Christian. Make this a daily part of your Christian experience. And I want to invite you to look in your bulletin. There is a handout in there. I wanted to make this as practical as possible, and I forgot my bulletin, so Sophie, I promise I'll give you this back afterwards. And I'm not going to go through this whole thing, but this is a practical way, one way that I have sought to apply Scripture in my morning devotions. Right now, I'm going through the correlated Bible readings, but this is a practical way that we have taught to our new members, and I want to encourage you to use this. This is also made available online at our website, at our YouTube uh, our YouTube uh, media cast that you could download this. This is available in PDF, but this is one practical way. This is not the only way, but in your morning devotions, this is one way to have a personal, practical devotional life. And many people have said, you know, Pastor, I want to study the Bible in my morning devotions, but I don't know how. Well, this is one way. I want to go through some of the things. Uh, number one, you must prepare. You must always start your morning devotions or a study of the Bible with prayer. The second thing that you can do is paraphrase. Take out a blank sheet of paper and jot down the date and passage you are studying. Cover only as much as you have time to digest. This is important. You don't want to get indigestion in your morning devotions. Amen. So this is something that you want to apply in practice. Bite-sized pieces, and you can even start small. Number three, you look at principles of God's Word. This is how you practically apply God's Word. You can ask these questions. Is there a sin to confess? Is there a promise to claim? Is there an attitude to change? Is there a command to follow? Is there an example to follow? 
Is there a prayer to pray? Is there an error to avoid? Is there a truth to believe? Is there something to thank or praise God for? And you fill this out. Then you go to your project. This is a practical way that you apply that scripture to your life. Finding a principle is only half the battle. You must then go and apply it to your personal life. This means transforming that principle into a project by answering the more questions or the following questions. Who, what, when, where, why, how? What exactly does this verse suggest you do? And the Holy Spirit brings a certain projects to your mind. Jot them down, checking to make sure they pass. Personal, achievable, specific, and scriptural. And then you put that Bible passage, if you decide to, into your memory. This is a commitment that you must make on a daily basis, and this is just a simple way that you can apply this. I suggest getting a devotional journal. I have a moleskin devotional journal that I got from Staples, and and it's my journal uh, entry for that morning. It's my devotional uh, book, and I grab it. It's on the same place in that same room on that same shelf, I grab it in my morning devotions, and, and I have a systematic devotional life, just as you should have a systematic place for your meals. It's the same thing. The same principle applies to your morning devotions. But you say, Pastor, uh, I don't have time. I would say, make time. Amen? Amen? Make time. Uh, You make time to eat. Make time for God's Word. And it doesn't have to be two hours. Start out small. Start out with 10 minutes. Set your alarm a little bit earlier. And I have my alarm in the bathroom because I know my human nature. If I have my alarm next to my bed, I hit the snooze button for the next hour. And uh, it's a miserable way of sleeping. Every nine minutes, an interruption. But but I I put it, you know, I've done that before for, for an hour. And, and, and I'm just like, why didn't I just get up the first time? This is, this is ridiculous. But, but, you know, I sit in the bathroom because then I have to stumble out to the bathroom and I turn on the light and I pray that, that that exercise keeps me up in the morning. And that way I can have my morning watch with God. Make time for God's Word. The Word of God is the answer to every spiritual problem. Can you say amen? If you're dealing with spiritual malnutrition. This could be one of the reasons. Do an assessment. Am I spending time in God's Word? Is my relationship with the Bible a passive relationship? Or is it an interactive, transformative relationship? The Word of God is the answer to every spiritual problem. If you're struggling with impure thoughts, the Word of God is the answer. If you are struggling with secret sin, the Word of God is the answer. If you're struggling with a temper, the Word of God is the answer. If you are struggling in your human relationships and you're finding very difficult to think Christ-like thoughts about an individual that is not being very nice to you. The Word of God is the answer. Amen? And it is my prayer 
as the pastor of this church that our congregation will daily feed on the Word of God. Wouldn't that be beautiful? That if our congregation, by the grace of God, lives by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God, if every member in our congregation spends personal time in their morning devotions, you will see a transformative effect in your home. Amen? You will be a different father, a different mother, a different husband. You will have a different family. We will have a transformative, powerful presence in this community because of the power of the Word of God. And it's my prayer that by the grace of God that these words will become true for you and me. Psalms 119, 103 through 105. How sweet are your, what, what does it say? How sweet are your words. I mean, what a beautiful relationship with the Word of God. He's not thinking, oh, you know, I have to study my Bible this morning. This is, this is a very different relationship. How sweet are your words to my taste. Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. From your precepts, I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And that is my prayer for every member, every person that is in this congregation, that we, by the grace of God, can say, your words are sweet to my taste. Is that your desire here today? I want to invite you to stand with me this morning as we prepare to close. Every head bowed and eyes closed. I want to make a simple appeal here this morning. Bow your heads with me. In the quietness of your own heart, I want to make this appeal. If you want to say, by the grace of God, I recognize that my promises without Him are like ropes of sand, but I want to commit to spending regular time in my morning devotions. And this is your desire. And you want to say, Lord, help me. I desire to do this. I recognize that I am weak in moral power, but with you, I can do all things. And I want to say, Lord, I have become a Christian. I have accepted you, but I want to be strong as a Christian. I want to be sustained as a Christian. And that's your desire here today. And you want to say, Lord, help me. I want to make this commitment by your grace to spend regular time in my morning devotions. Why don't you just put your hand up to God? The Lord knows. This Lord knows your heart. And you want to say, Lord, I want to make this commitment. God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. My second appeal is this, and this is a very specific appeal. I want to open the doors of the church here this morning, and there is someone here, and you have not fully accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. You've been holding back. And if you're hearing this appeal here this morning and you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to invite you to continue to pray as I make this appeal. This appeal is specifically for someone that has not fully accepted Jesus as your Savior. I want to give you here this morning the opportunity to respond to God's voice. Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock if any man opens the door, if any woman opens the door, if any child opens the door, I will come in to him or to her. And that is the promise. 
And that promise still stands here this morning. This is a specific appeal for someone here today. And you've heard the Holy Spirit speaking to your heart. And today, Jesus is inviting you to respond to that invitation. If that is your desire to respond and say, Lord, I want to accept you as Savior of my life. I have not previously fully done so, and today I want to respond. I want to invite you to come forward for a special prayer. Is there someone here today that wants to respond to Jesus? This is not Pastor Shin. This is Jesus Christ that is giving this open invitation. You want to respond and say, Lord, I want to accept you as Savior of my life. Is there someone here today that wants to respond to that voice? Is there someone here today that wants to respond to that invitation? I want to invite you to come forward. I'm not going to belabor this, but I just want to open that invitation at this time. You want to say, Lord Jesus, please, I want to respond to your spirit here today. That appeal is still open. My third appeal is this. You have a prayer request that you have a burden for. I don't know what it may be. Perhaps Jesus only knows. Perhaps it's a person. Perhaps it's a personal decision. Perhaps it's an area of your life or someone else, and you have a, this prayer request, and you want to bring this prayer request before the Lord today. I want to invite you to come forward at this time. God bless you. You have a special prayer request that you want to submit before God. God answers prayer. Amen? And this is a specific appeal for those that have a prayer request that they want to bring before God. God bless you. God bless you. We serve a God that hears and answers our prayer. He always answers that request. It may not be at the time or in the fashion that you requested, but He says that He hears our hearts and our prayers. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that you are a God that hears and answers our prayers. We thank you that your ear is not heavy that it cannot hear, nor your arm shortened that it cannot save. We thank you that right now that our prayers are ascending to the most holy place of the heavenly sanctuary where you are ministering on our behalf. And I pray for every person that has come forward here this morning for this prayer request. Perhaps it's a person that they have a burden for. Perhaps it's a personal decision. Perhaps it's a personal struggle. Whatever it may be, Lord, we come to you today laying this part of our lives, this prayer request before you, asking not in our name, but in the name of Jesus Christ, who died for us on Calvary, depending on the merits of the blood of Jesus here this morning, we plead with you to answer this request in answer to our petitions in your own way and in your own time. I pray that you would answer our hearts here this morning. And Father, today we have seen how the Word of God is essential to our Christian experience. Not supplemental, not an addition, not extra, 
that after we have been born again, you want us to live and grow as a Christian, to be strengthened as a Christian. And today, Lord, many of us have made this commitment to spend regular time in our morning devotions. Lord, give us the strength. Give us the desire to spend time in your word, in regular Bible study. That the psalmist phrase, thy word have I hid in my heart, would be true for every single person here today. Help us by your grace that we can come to the place to say, your words are sweeter than honey to our mouth. We pray this. We thank you that you have answered our prayers in accordance with your perfect will. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.